Hello, and thanks for joining us on Rare Bird Radio. I'm Sharon Weil, author of the new nonfiction book, Changeability, How Artists, Activists, and Awakeners Navigate Change, about how to meet change with more flexibility, effectiveness, and ease. And I'm also the host of the podcast, Passing for Normal, where I talk with innovative change makers and change writers about how they are seeding change in the world. Today, we're here on Rare Bird Radio in conversation with Joan Stanford, art therapist, innkeeper, and author of The Art of Play, Ignite Your Imagination to Unlock Insight, Healing, and Joy. Joan is a board-certified art therapist and the full-time innkeeper of the Stanford Inn and the Mendocino Center for Living Well. She's been facilitating creativity groups for over 20 years, encouraging people of all ages, especially non-artists, to expand their awareness through playing with art materials. She, she has been recognized with the, with the Soroptimist, thank you, that is a hard word. She has been recognized with the Soroptimist Making a Difference for Women Award for an art-based curriculum she created and taught in local schools. Hello, Joan. Hi, Sharon. Wonderful to talk to you. It is wonderful to talk to you. Yes, your book is absolutely beautiful. It is full of evocative images. Your poems are wonderful. And really, it's a guidebook for readers uh, for their own process into unlocking their own creativity, right? Yes, that was my intention. My hope was that... um, It would inspire others as others have inspired me to just simply try it because I think, you know, so many of us have shut down that, that ability to um, create, especially to visually create with, with art, uh, art materials. Um, And I'm not a trained artist and I'm, you know, a businesswoman, I'm a busy person. And yet when this was offered to me and I began it, it just opened up so much for me in my own you know, my own life, and it affected everybody around me, the way I interacted with everyone. So I just feel it's, it's a really wonderful gift to offer. And really, the impetus for the writing was to share that journey, my own journey to it, and hopefully to inspire others to just try it, even if they think they can't. <laughs> Especially right. If they can. Especially if they think they can't. Um, so, right. what, so what drew you into this path of art and play? What called you there? What called me? Well, I think I tell the story in in the book about the actual um, meeting up with a a woman who was teaching my children piano at a time in my life when I was definitely feeling disconnected. I I was in this, you know, kind of busy, busy, busy mode. Um, I had from every perspective on the outside a very perfect life. I, I lived in a beautiful place. I was involved in meaningful work. I had a great family. I wasn't struggling with any of the uh, stereotypical crises, but I was having what I called in the book, I think, a crisis of meaning and connection mm-hmm. to my dad. And at that point, my kids were taking these piano lessons from this woman who I found out was also an expressive arts therapist. And I began working with her as an adult student. And um, that's how I first learned about this whole way of using um, color, shape, line as a way to express something on the inside um, with art. I don't like to use the word art because it's so loaded and so weighted with, 
you know, uh, assumptions about what art is or what art isn't, but you create using art materials and it's a self, it's an expression of something on the inside. And that was such a new concept for me. I just didn't even think about that being a possibility. And I, I think I write about that as well, that I didn't even, I mean, I was so disconnected. I, I didn't really even connect with my inside in any kind of, um, really meaningful way. I mean, I would feel, you know, anxious or overwhelmed or something like that, but I didn't investigate it. And this was just a real doorway in there. It it totally awakened a sense of, you know, the wonderful world within, if you like, and all of the messes in there as well. Mm -hmm. So is the process um, that you locate an image, maybe even arbitrarily, and that that creates the, um, the pathway to your inner understanding, or does it come the other way, that you have a feeling that you somehow want to give form to, and then you find an image or words to express it? Well, the way I started, it was definitely the latter. It was um, being asked to put something down on paper to express an emotion, a feeling, um, something going on inside me. So let's say I was really angry. I might just scribble some very jagged black marks or or some Mm -hmm. red or something. Um, And it was basically just to use the, 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 um, the, sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling here. It was, it was basically to put something down on paper to represent a feeling. And that evoked more insight, more, there was another process like that would lead to something else. Like, what does this need? And then the next image might be some water. If it was flame, it might need some water and the process would lead. Now, when I do it for myself, I basically just find images. I do a lot of collage work and Mm -hmm. I just, images speak to me in some way. Um, they, they either attract me or intrigue me, something about the image that I want, and I tear them out. And then I will make a collage. And once I've made the collage, I, I, this is really exactly how it works. I just let it kind of have, tell me what it wants to tell me. I'll actually yep. look at it and basically say, what, what do you want me to know? And always something comes. So the images are very evocative at that point. But the beginning was really getting something out and then following the process, following the image. If it was if it was like I feel overwhelmed and I had myself as a person on a little canoe or a little boat in a great big ocean with a big wave kind of, you know, coming over me like an arm, then it would be, well, what what how can this how can we calm this ocean or how can I find some shelter or do I need bigger oars? You know, like the image mm-hmm. yes. from the image to move beyond it or to move into it deeper. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I would love to, I would love to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you say when something just comes through, right? When you, when you as the artist, as the writer, as a dancer, as a musician, when you sort of get out of the way or you court the muse, so to speak, and, and mm-hmm. something comes through. It just starts to carry on its own. To me, it's such a magical experience. I've been blessed to have that experience a number of times in my writing where characters just speak to me or the story just speaks to me and it comes through. And so 
Um, I know that that's a process that you're working with, and I'm wondering if you can describe that. Well, I think it's it's a bit of a mystery. I mean, for me, it's a bit of a mystery. It, it's I can't really of course, <laughs> but um, yeah, as you say, it, it happens, and and it always feels magical when it happens. Um, like there's an example in the book of where I was dialoguing with the image, which is a an art therapy mm-hmm. process where you. And and it's also, you can use your non-dominant hand to write the conversation. And I think it's getting out of the the right, or excuse me, I guess getting out of the left brain, the, the part of our brain that wants to, you know, be very linear and, and organized and controlling. I think when we shift out of that, it opens this channel and other stuff can slip, slip in. And I think it's always there, but I, I don't think... It's, it's almost like, to me, grace, like you sit down at your desk to write, let's say, or you sit down in your studio to do something with, with art. And at the time, you may not have any idea at all, or you, or you just start. And I think that's critical, too, is being willing to start. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's very intimidating to, to have that blank page or that blank piece of paper um, in front of you. But I think there's something about being there in a receptive place, and you write about in your book about listening deeply. I love that because to me, when we listen deeply, it's not, it's not just to what's around us outside. It's what's within us. It's our sensations. And when we listen deeply and we are quiet enough and still enough to hear, I mean, the original title for my book was actually Whispers or uh, Whispers, mm. the, the soul and whispers and, you know, um, uh, listening to your whispering. So I had a whole bunch of variations of that. But it was all about listening and the idea that when you listen, it is a whisper that, that to me, that, that thing that speaks through us, the, word, the one I'm trying to describe, <laughs> to me, it's, it's that kind of a subtle, very, we have to be very quiet because if it's a whisper, you almost have to say, shh, I'm listening, I'm listening. And, and you're straining yeah. to hear in a way. And it comes, it comes really like grace, like a gift. And you hear something or you feel something, and it, and it just it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you made it happen. And that's the wonder of it, because obviously it did. But I think that's how we connect to, you know, the greater mystery all around us when we're, when we're in that state or that receptive state. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you talk about, you know, that the empty page can be very intimidating or the empty canvas can be very intimidating. And so then you bring in the art of play, the art of play yeah. to, to just, just play, just try, just see, right? Right. Um, as yeah. a way to begin. Yes, because I think for me, as I say, a non-artist type person and the people I work with at the inn, especially in my play shops, are mostly non-artist type people. Um, it's it, it's got to be it's got to be taken lightly, at least presented lightly. It's always going to it's it's always surprising how serious it gets or how quickly something deeper emerges. But in terms of starting, I think we have to think, oh, this doesn't matter. I I it, I you know, I can, I can screw up here. I can write drivel. I can, you know, make a mess on the page. It doesn't matter. Something about play does not matter. It just simply is fun. We're just going to do it and see what happens and what leads on to the next thing. And, you know, I mean, we've seen children play and there's just such a delight in the play and there's no necessary, um, 
you know, it's not to be doing something or creating something. It's the play itself is, is what it's about. And so I think it's a back door. I mean, I, I think you have one, in one of your um, examples in the book, you talk about, I forget her name right now, but she's a potter at this point. I think she was an improv yes, artist. Yes, uh, Jackie, Jackie Welch Lisher. Okay, so she talks about she's a puppy, and I love that. I think she said I'm a puppy <laughs> At another point, she said she's a puppy, and I thought that's what we—that's a term I'm going to use. Let's just be puppies. Let's just frolic and see what happens. And the question is, is really, well, what if? What if you know there was no gravity in the world? What would that look like if we, you know, and just you throw out all these silly possibilities. And when you enter the world of possibility, that's automatically a magical place. So to me, that brings alive the child, alive the child as well, which, you know, I, I invoke that as somebody who can play, but I know many children, you know, didn't have that, that kind of a childhood, but that's always a possibility. We can always create a childhood for ourselves now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the playful approach is the what if approach, right? So what, like what would happen yep. if this? What would happen if that? And you get to kind of um, turn all the rules upside down, right? You know, what happens exactly. if the sky were the sea? Or what happens if, you know, this duck could uh, hitchhike? Or, you know, I'm just making stuff up. But, but you know, it's just like, yeah, it stretches the imagination, right? Um, Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you then what, is the relationship, so, you know, imagination, we enter through play, we want to stir things up, we want to get things moving. Um, and then, and so then there's the, there's the imagination and where it exists, and then there's the expression of imagination, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what is the relationship between imagination and expression, between experimentation and form? Like, how does one translate to the other? Just through the process of doing it. And then there's the reflective piece. Um, I think that's really important to, once you've created something, you've expressed something, um, you've put different pieces together, in my case, with collaging. Um, you put things together and created something new then it's it's that standing aside from it, which is also, you know, in spiritual practices, there's that development of the witness self, the part that stands apart. And I think that's the power of, of an art piece, too, is it it's came through us, it's us, but it's also out in front of us, so we, have, we can relate to it. And yeah, so yeah. Then, then there's that reflective piece comes in, like what, what is this about? Or, or sometimes it's a complete mystery and there is no answer it it isn't i mean like a lot of art for me when i go to a gallery i'm not really clear on what what's going on i might be fascinated by a particular piece but i might not understand the process but the way i work the process is really what's really important and so actually in the book with every piece or every piece of uh, writing i added the backstory because i wanted people to know there was a process and I think that's a, also the other thing, aside from self-judgment and our, and our very harsh inner critic, I think the other thing that stops us from doing creative work, whatever it might be, is that we look at the finished product and we don't remember that, you know, that came through many, many stages of, of not being there. It was all a process. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, a book is a perfect example because 
I know from my writing, I, I went down so many different, um, you know, paths trying to pull this together and I couldn't figure out how to bring it together because it all felt so circular and everything overlapped and I couldn't really separate, you know, work about belonging with grief work or, you know, it was, it was all kind of mishmashed. And, and then as you keep going and going, if you can, you know, find that inner commitment, which is so important to keep going, um, suddenly it become it starts to lead you like we were talking before and some little thread will come and, and you pull on that and, oh, I see how that ties in with this and, and it starts to have form. But we look at the finished product and forget that whole creative process that went into it. So we think, oh, I could never do that. But, you know, if, if we see the steps, I think it's easier to identify with the fact that maybe we could do it. Absolutely. You know, so often we're so um, rushing to the, to the finale, rushing to the finished product. I know that, you know, in writing, when I talk to people about writing, I say that, you know, there's all this time where you're just generating and you're just yes. coming up with stuff and you're just generating. And then later on, you actually craft it. So, you know, um, if you really want to make art or make writing that's, that's really, you know, is more refined and really communicates what you're trying to communicate, then you get good at your craft. But the crafting is something separate from the original impulses and the creativity and the playfulness and the, just the generating and the freedom, like you say, to play, is this go, are these, you know, does this go over here? Does this go over there? Is this really what this is about at all? I don't know. And then, and then the crafting comes in or, you know, the editor with her sharp pencil. She stays outside the door for a really long time when I'm working until I'm really ready for her. You know, she has to stay. She's like, oh, she wants to get in there right away with her little red sharp pencil. And I just say, please. Stay outside. <laughs> I'll call you when I'm ready. <laughs> and that that's good. That's a, that's. I mean, that's recognizing the value of of her. You know, the 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 editor. My my work is more to encourage people not to think about the craft aspect. Although that can come after you do this work for a while. I think a lot of people, you know, want to perfect it and they'll take classes and they and they will bring in the crafting and making it more. But to begin with, I, I just want it to be something they do for themselves, which, again, is why I stay on the play side. But, you know, because to me, the, the idea that someone else is going to see it right there can be a big inhibitor. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so let's talk about vulnerability, because that's really what um, is coming up when people um, either – step into to a creative act when they don't think of themselves as creative or risk showing it to another person. Um, I know that on your website you talked about the vulnerability that in your blog you talked about the vulnerability that you felt in preparing this book. Um, yeah. So let's talk about vulnerability because we all have it. And it is... Um, you know, the fear of vulnerability or just not wanting to experience vulnerability can keep us away from so many rich opportunities. Yeah, and um, I think it all comes back to trust. 
Um, because when we're vulnerable, I mean, actually, I, I just had an injury this week. My cat bit me, and I got a very badly infected right hand, lost the use of it. So I, you know, and I use my right hand. I'm right-handed. And I was in this very vulnerable position. I, I had to go to the hospital. When we're vulnerable, I think we, we, um, we just feel powerless. And, and so a lot of the work that I do, I think with art making, and because it's an active act, I mean, you're, you're actively engaged with the materials, right there it gives you back some of that power that vulnerability takes away. But I think vulnerability is also rooted in our need to protect something in ourselves that we think is at risk if we show it. And mm. I think the, the more that we do our own work, um, the, the less that becomes a concern. I, I think I had something in the book about, you know, like the changing the emphasis from like shame and guilt to more to aliveness. Because mm-hmm. being alive is, when we're alive, we're going to experience, this, experience lots of things. And we can put labels on them or feel bad about them. But if we expand our view of them and see, well, now, and I mean, this is, this is not, I mean, this, everybody I think knows this, that we wouldn't be where we were today had we not made those mistakes or, or taken those risks or done something that, you know, tested us in some way. Um, but when we're vulnerable, we're in this very small child place, the other part of being a child, I think, where we feel like, you know, other people can hurt us, and so we just have to protect ourselves. And when we're really vulnerable, I think we put all these shields around us, which don't allow other things in and don't allow mm-hmm, yes. ourselves out. So it's it's a tough spot, but it's a very, it's a tender place. And I think anybody that's doing creative work or encouraging other to do, others to do creative work, they always, first of all, want to create a really safe place for that to happen. And uh, that's the other aspect of um, art therapy, I think, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a practice. It's a lab for living your real life. You can take risks on the paper, and somehow that'll eventually allow you to take risks in your life, your walking life. Um, but... You have to create safety. People have to feel safe to take risks. And so, I don't know, vulnerability is a tough one because we're all vulnerable. But but I think in your book, I mean, everything's always changing. And why we have this funny idea that things aren't changing and that we can protect ourselves, (laughs) it's, it's just a funny thing about being human. I mean, we know it, but we have all sorts of issues around it. I mean, everything's always changing. I mean, we read it. It's always it's always changing, and yet we act surprised when things change. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's exactly. Changing. It's always changing. It's always, it's always changing. changing. And this injury, of course, me to adapt. Like you talk a lot about different um, strategies for 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 accepting or, or navigating change, and you know we we have that capacity. That's the other wonderful thing is. We, we have this resistance, but then we have this incredible capacity to recreate ourselves and reimagine ourselves if, if, we, if we let ourselves. Yes, yes, and refresh ourselves and restore ourselves and return to ourselves, right? You know, that's the, that's the definition of healing that I really like is, is one of restoration. Yes, I mm. love that. That's great. 
Yeah. And all of that, you know, involves trust or building trust. And, and um, I love to ask people, how is it that you trust? How is it that you find trust in what you do? Are you asking where me? You, yeah, I am asking you. Where, where, where does your trust come from? How do you know what you know and how are you willing to go with it? Um, at this point, it's interesting. I mean, I, I pause because it's a really interesting question. I think I'm fortunate in that I've had, I'm, I'm touching wood as I say this, I've had a relatively um, good basis in my, I mean, a very good basis in my life with my family of origin. And then in my, in my adult life, in my working life, I've had, I've had experiences that have allowed me to feel confident in myself. So I've had, I could, I felt I could trust my own judgment about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, nice. So I wasn't, I wasn't like a real tentative person, um, generally. And then when I started doing more of this work, this, this internal work, that's when it, the issue of trust, you know, sort of became a capital T trust. And it was more about my place in the universe, um, trusting that I actually belonged, that I was part of some unfolding story. I wasn't just this isolated, egocentric person that had to do things right or had to, you know, orchestrate my life in such a way that I would feel good about it. It was it was a much broader concept of 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 trust, that trusting that as things happened, I would be able to cope with them, trusting that lessons, uh, I, would, I would receive lessons from any challenges. And then trusting that um, in terms of the art process, trusting that if I just went there, even when I'm totally frustrated and feel like nothing's going to happen, just trusting that if I appear, something will happen. If, if I mm-hmm. actually sit down, something will happen. And it's almost... I think I said this to someone else recently. It's like, if you want to call it the muse, the muse is always there. And it's kind of like, she says, well, where have you been? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't gone, you were gone. And so it's like all those, all those impediments we put in our path, um, we just have to clear them out, I think. And then there she is, or there he is, there it is, um, waiting for us. So trusting, I guess trusting a broader purpose to my being here. And, and a lot of that was through, um, again, the process of doing collage, like pulling things apart into pieces. And that was really important for me because I think, I, as I said about people being attached to the finished product, I think I thought things were more fixed than they were. I wasn't into mm-hmm. your team thing yet. I, I, I thought like the form, I would see the form. And, and when I got into tearing things apart, I think that allowed me to see, you know, how everything is always changing, that everything is made up of pieces and we're all part of something else. And that, that really gave me a lot of trust, too, that there was a holding. And I have a poem in, in the book about um, when my son was 15 and he flew to New York and it was his first, you know, yeah. big trip away without adults with him, without us with him. And there was this real sense of like letting him go off in the world and, and trusting, you know, that he'd come back. But when I went to pick him up, you know, I stood there waiting. This was when you could go like right up to the glass almost and watch them. And he didn't come out of the plane and my heart started going crazy. Like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what happened? And finally he came, but he was like, you know, one of like the last person. 
And but I, I really had this sense that I was being held and that he was being held and that I, I had entrusted him and they returned that, that trust returned him to me. And I, it was a very powerful, like, you know, one of those momentary things. But again, it was that listening deeply aspect that you talk about of just really being aware that it was just an instant, almost like a flash of like, we are being held and I'm safe and he's safe. And, and that's that big trust with the T, capital T. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, so it really takes courage to develop trust and it takes courage to trust and it takes courage to change and it takes courage to play, right? To just yeah. say, Hey, yeah, I'm I jumping in. So. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and thank you so much for being so courageous in your own process and for sharing that process and that love um, with so many other people to bring them into their creative lives. Thank you well, so much. You. Well, you do it as well. And, and I think we all, you know, are encouraging one another. And I think that's what's so important is that we keep we keep that alive. We keep reducing one another with our own creative efforts. And hopefully that moves things in the direction of positive changes. Absolutely. So before we end, and I'm sorry to end, but it's time to end. Um, but before we end, I want um, you to just tell listeners how they can um, get in touch with you, you know, what the best way to find you is, and also to remind them that your wonderful book is called The Art of Play, in Ignite Your Imagination to Unlock Insight, Healing, and Joy. So, Joan, can you just tell people what the best way to reach you is? Yeah, my, my website is just www.joanstanford.com, and I'm rather new to this whole world, so the website is, is um, a work in progress. And then my email is just joan at stanfordin.com, and that's S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D-I-N-N.com. And, um, yes, I'd love to hear from anybody, and, and I've been very happy with the response to the book. So that's, that's the best part of putting it out there, I guess, is, is knowing it's finding its way into somebody's hands and hearts. So thank you for having uh, this conversation, Sharon. It's been great. Absolutely. It's been wonderful, and I look forward to more.